Well, good morning to all of you who are here in person and those watching online. Certainly glad to have you with us, joining us this morning. It's a good day. Um, Callis and family is very excited about today, partially because we have the whole band back together. Uh, Javen came home from college, and so we're excited to have the whole the whole crew under one roof. Bethany is uh, very, very excited to have all those boys under one roof, and so she's she's thrilled. So make sure and uh, make sure and uh, say hi to Javen if you see him. He's back there running slides today. So I don't know why I said it that way. I, you're going to see him. We're not that big of a church. So. Anyway, hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 7, or if you got your phone, whatever device you look up Scripture on. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to cover only two verses today, and, uh, which is, is a little bit different. And something I want to do, today's verses are, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty solemn uh, in, in tone. Um, and it's real easy if we're not careful for us to sort of uh, read it and then sort of discount, okay, I know where I'm at in that. In, in that scenario, right? I know where I'm at. We're going to talk about two choices, two roads, um, and a choice we need to make. And, and, and it's real easy for us to go, well, I know I'm on this path or I'm on this path. Um, but then there's, there's, I want you to think beyond that. And you're going to understand as we get into this what, what I'm talking about. But I want us to think beyond that and think, what are the implications of that, of living that out and, and living on uh, that path, because we all come to a choice we have to make, a, a decision, a, a fork in the road. You know, in life, we come to moments where we have to make a decision. And to not decide is in itself a decision. You know, our popular culture is filled with stories of decisions, right? You watch movies and you see the main character has to many times he comes to a point or she comes to a point where they have to make a decision that will alter the course of their life, right? So in the movie The Matrix, right? It's a few years old. Uh, The lead character Neo played by Keanu Reeves, uh, he must choose if he's going to take the blue pill or the red pill, right? He takes one, he goes back into the Matrix and just keeps going like normal. And if he takes the other one, he wakes up and he becomes the savior of the world, basically. Okay? In Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, he's got to decide between the light side of the force and joining his father on the dark side, right? And in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is on her way to Emerald City, and she comes to, uh, she comes to a crossroads. And there's a suspicious-looking scarecrow, Right? And she's like trying to figure out which way to go. And she hears some people go this way. And she looks up and the scarecrow's pointing this way. And, and, she, and she looks down and says, here's some people go this way. And looks up, scarecrow's pointing the other way. This seems odd to me. I'd take off. I'd leave at that point. And uh, I, she just saw her house drop on a witch. So she's seen some things. So, and then my favorite part is she looks away and he says, some people go both ways. And she looks back and he's saying, I don't know how you do that. But she had a choice. She had to choose a way to go. So, and the last one is, is in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Our intrepid hero, Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones must choose which cup at the end of the movie. It, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's like 40 years old, okay? 35 years old. So uh, he's got to choose which cup to drink out of. And if it's the grail, the holy grail, then uh, he gets to live, and if not, he dies a pretty gruesome death, right? And so the knight's watching him, and he says to him, choose wisely. In poetry, we see the same thing about choices. 
One of my favorite poets is a guy named Robert Frost, his famed poet, and his probably his most fav- famous poem is The Road Not Taken, right? You know this one. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. You didn't know you were coming to a poetry reading, did you? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I'm sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there, had warned them really about the same and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how, knowing how way leads on the way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. So we see in our pop culture this idea of being faced with a choice that's going to alter your life. It's going to alter the outcome, right? If you choose to go this way, you're going to end up in Wusung. And if you choose to go this way, you're going to end up in Amboy, right? Uh, there's, there's a choice uh, to be made. And the Bible is loaded with choices, times where God sovereignly puts before someone these two options. There's his way, the way he is picking for them to go. There is the way that, that is the way of life, and then there is the way of death. In Joshua twenty four fifteen, we see a choice laid before him. He said, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the, in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we see this theme, and it continues to play out in Scripture, of choosing, choosing the Lord's way, the, the narrow way. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We see the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There are two paths that you can travel. The way of the, path of the righteous, the way of the wicked. In Proverbs fifteen nineteen, The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. So you can be a sluggard, or you can be the upright. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So today, 
in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus begins what amounts to the conclusion of the sermon. He has been giving this what we know as his most famous group of teaching in Scripture. And when we get to this passage, he really begins uh, to wrap it up, right? He begins a conclusion here, and he kind of turns to illustrating or, or applying the points that he has been making for the last couple of chapters. As he begins this conclusion to the sermon, he makes clear that we must choose between the narrow and the wide gate, the good, the good tree and the bad tree, and, and, and living lives that back up our words. We must each choose, and, and my hope and prayer is that we would choose wisely. So let's begin by reading our, our focal passage for today, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, just two short verses. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as as we come to this time of diving into your word and, and its meaning, and its implications, and its applications. God, I pray that you would uh, just be big here, Jesus. Uh, I pray I would decrease, that you would increase. You know how I've struggled with this message. You know in how many times I've changed the outline, and you know all that stuff, and and, and all that stuff kind of doesn't matter. What matters is that you speak to your people through your word. And God, I just pray that you would you would do that. That God, that when we leave here, we will have made a decision. And maybe we know we're already on the narrow way, or we or we realize we're on the wide way. We need to repent and hop into the onto the narrow way through you, Jesus. But but God, even if we know where we're at, I pray that the implications of that, the things that that says, what must be true about our lives, uh, that we would. We would do those things. We would be about those things. We'd be focused on your wants and not our own. God, I, I pray you would just speak through your word. We just, I just trust you. Your word does what you sent it out to do. I trust you to do it, Jesus. I trust you to change our hearts. In fact, it's only you that can change our hearts. Only you that can, uh, you know, only you that helps us make the right choice. Uh, it's only through you calling to us and opening our hearts and, and showing us your truth, revealing your truth to us, that we can even, uh, that we can even follow you, Jesus. So I just pray you do that for us this morning. God, if there are those here or maybe listening online who've never met you, they don't know what this, this means to truly be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to live a life on this narrow path, God, I pray that you would open their hearts to that, that they would understand and that they would believe, repent of their sin, and trust you and trust the gospel, Jesus. Help us follow you well, as individuals and as a church. God, I pray, I pray that you would have a massive impact on Dixon, that you would work through us, that you would bring people to know you, that you would disciple people, that you help us as this little church in Dixon, Illinois, to even take the gospel to the nations. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jesus begins this, this conclusion of the sermon by telling them that the, the narrow gate, that they should choose, they should enter through the narrow gate, uh, 
And then he goes into a description of the wide gate and why they should not choose the wide gate. And then he goes back to talk about the narrow gate. So he kind of is like, hey, enter through the narrow gate. Here's why you don't want to do the wide gate. Here's the narrow gate. The choice before us today is one of two ways, two gates, two destinations, and and the choice between being a part of two crowds. And so if you're one of those people who takes notes, that's the basic outline, right? Two ways, two gates, two destinations, and two crowds. And we're going to differentiate those two, and then we're going to give you the choice. The first thing is we have a choice of two ways. We have a choice of two ways. There's an easy way. And there is a hard way. And and now if you're like me, you're thinking, yeah, I know the hard way. I have to learn the hard way my entire life, right? Uh, That's me, right? There was a song years ago by, when I was in high school, my favorite favorite band was was DC Talk, okay? Christian group, all right? And they had this song, The Hard Way, and it was so cool. And I felt so like, I felt so hard and cool uh, because the video was shot in a prison, uh, you know? And uh, I guess that made me, uh, living in a very small town in the middle of Iowa, feel some kind of, I don't know. But anyway, the point was they always had to learn the hard way, right? Uh, the point of this is that actually the hard way is the better way, that, and that's different than me learning the hard way. Me learning the hard way is me doing a bunch of the things that are on the easy way and falling down and finding out that that way doesn't work well, and then ending up deciding that where I want to be is really the way of the Lord, which is actually the real hard way. So there's an easy way and a hard way. So the first thing I want to talk about is what's the easy way? Well, the easy way, it's wide. The easy way, there's plenty of room on this path. The wide way, the easy way is popular. It's the popular way. It's the road to destruction. This wide way is what we find out from Jesus. And the thing about the wide way is it is celebrated by those who are on it, who are dancing their way to eternal death on this wide path. They're excited about it. That's not a statement on dancing, just so everybody knows. Uh, I like dancing. But they are partying it up because they're on this wide way, this way that, that, that leads down and everybody can come on it and it leads to death. The culture praises those who proudly march down the wide path and encourage others to join them on this easy way where all are welcome. They find that this path is even fun and it's pleasurable, it feels good, but in the end, this way, the way of the world, leads to eternal separation from God. This path is the path of your own will instead of living according to God's will. You can think all of the kind things you want about Jesus, but if you are truly on the path to the wide, through the wide gate on this wide and easy path, then you'll end up in hell eternally apart from Jesus. Because it doesn't matter necessarily just thinking kind things about Jesus while you are dancing your way to destruction. Jesus tells his followers that those who enter by the wide gate that go down this wide way are many. It is the way of disobedience. We're going to come back to we're going to come back to that thought that it, it, there are many that take it, but it is the path of disobedience. Now, John Stott wrote of this road. There's plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. 
It is the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries of either, uh, of either, either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations, that is, the desires of the human heart in its fallenness. Superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, censoriousness, these things do not have to be learned or cultivated. Effort is needed to resist them. No effort is needed to practice them. That is why it's a broad road is easy. The broad road is easy. Because the things on the broad road, the things that lead down this broad road, entering through this wide gate that leads to destruction, those things, you don't have to practice them. You'll just naturally, in your fallenness and your sinfulness, do it because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That's our natural inclination, is to boogie on down the wide path. Because it's easy. It doesn't take any restraint. You don't have to make hard choices on that path. But then there is the hard way. The hard way. The way of the Lord. The way that actually will require that you submit your will and what you want to the will of the Lord. It will require that as you walk down this road, you actually are going to deny yourself some things that you naturally want. You're going to feel like, well, that's the way I... I you'll, try to, you'll try to justify it by saying, well, this is just the way I am. Instead of denying yourself. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 9 tells people that if they don't follow him, they've got to deny themselves and pick up their cross daily and follow him. And this is not, please don't hear me wrong. Do not think that I am talking about some kind of merit-based or works-based salvation, okay? We're going to, in just a minute, we're going to get to actually walking through the gate and what is the gate to get on the narrow road. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So please don't understand, don't, don't, don't misunderstand, excuse me, please understand, please don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about some kind of workspace like you have to deny yourself and do all the right things and walk the right path and then end up in eternity, in eternal life instead of destruction. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being able to look at the path you're on and say, which path am I on right now? Am I on one that leads to life or am I showing through my actions that I am on a path that leads to destruction? So there are two ways. There's the easy way and the hard way. Secondly, there are two gates. There are two gates to enter by. There is the wide gate. There's the wide gate. And I want to turn your attention to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Because as I said, the wide gate is, uh, it's open for anybody that wants to pass on through. All right? It's the wide gate. Proverbs 1, 10 through 16. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let she, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. 
Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. The wide gate is very welcoming, right? And they will say, come in. They will entice you, those who are on that path. It is very enticing to jump in with them, right? There are more of them around. And it's very easily to be enticed to go down that road, to make choices, to follow that path, to get what you want instead of what the Lord wants. And they are deceptive and can even, and in fact, I, I tell people, I don't need anyone outside to deceive me. I can deceive myself, right? Like I got enough sin in me. Uh, we will become self-deceived and think that sometimes we are, I'm doing this thing. Well, I'm doing this thing and, and I'm still walking with the Lord. Yeah, well, you're doing the opposite of what the Bible, God's word to us, his revelation of himself to us, tells us what a person who is truly right with the Lord looks like, what their life looks like because their heart has been made right with the Lord. And it will lead to destruction. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. They are quick to it. And it is enticing. There are so many verses in Proverbs talking about, uh, talking about the immoral woman and how she's enticing to, to men, to young men, and, and not to avoid her. But this, is, this wide way is enticing. Secondly, there is, so there's a wide gate, there's a narrow gate. I don't want to get off track here. This narrow gate symbolizes the nature of Christ's kingdom. And this gate, this narrow gate, it's like a turnstile gate, right? I think about um, when you go like to Six Flags or somewhere like that, and they've got the turnstile, you know, with the one, the one with the bar, you know, that's got like the three bars. Looks like the thing. It looks, looks like the thing they put in the middle of your pizza uh, to keep it from the box from crushing it, right? Only it's sideways, right? That's that's how my mind works, guys. Sorry. And you walk into it. And, and or at Menards, right? They got it at Menards too, right? Yeah, exactly. I was just there, right? So they have it at Menards and you go in. But this gate's a turnstile gate and only one person can go at a time. You can't put two th- people through that thing at a time. It doesn't work very well. You can try jamming somebody else through, but you'll probably get stuck. The narrow gate's a turnstile gate. It, it's got to be entered one at a time. Again, this is not teaching works-based salvation. There are only two choices. There's the way of Jesus and there's the way of the world. There's, there's no third choice. I think sometimes we think, well, I can kind of dip my toe in both worlds, right? Just enough Jesus that I don't end up in hell and just enough of the world that I'm able to have fun. The only problem is at a fork in the road, I, I was thinking about this. I, think about that, that old animated movie, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Isn't that the one where they're at summer camp and they have the river raft race and the, the bully team, there's a, there's a sign that says this way where the river splits and there's a big, like a big mountain or a hill or cliff right in the middle and the river goes on either way and one way has got like a waterfall or something or a bunch of rapids and the other way is nice and easy. And the bully uh, team flips the sign so that they go down the wrong way. But 
you come to that point, they had to pick one way or the other because if they said, no, we're just going to go straight, they're going to end up running aground. So there's not a third choice. There's not like a middle way. You, to, to not choose is to choose. There's no in-between. And John Stott, who was so helpful earlier, he, he wrote this. The hard way, on the other hand, is narrow. Its boundaries are clearly marked. Its narrowness is due to something called divine revelation, which restricts pilgrims to the confines of what God has revealed in Scripture to be true and good. I think last week I talked about when you're driving through the mountains, you know, they have guardrails on the side of the road so that if something goes wonky with you or the car, you know, you fall asleep because you're trying to drive through the night, right? So that you hit that guardrail and it stops the car from careening to your death, right? The narrow path has guardrails that keep us from wrecking our lives. And the narrow path is not the easy path. Jesus says it's hard. Jesus says it's hard, so you can count on it being hard. You know, many teachers have used the image of a road for the, for the path of teaching or following good teaching in life. But the narrow path is hard, and it's hard because Jesus' moral teaching, excuse me, Jesus' teaching was morally restrictive, was it not? If we look at, remember, he's kind of concluding, wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, and we look at all of the ethical, moral teaching that had been a part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has said, this is how people who are truly in the kingdom, this is how that is expressed in their lives, this whole person righteousness, this is what it looks like. Jesus is saying that, and, and here he comes and says, this is a narrow path, because the teaching, we look at that teaching and we're like, wow, we can't we can't do that completely and on our own. Yeah, we can't. The only way we can do that is through Jesus because he lived that perfect life on our behalf. And we're going to mess it up because of sin and therefore we needed a perfect savior. That's a good thing. It shows us what a child of the kingdom of and, uh, and what living a life following God is supposed to look like. Obeying God's commands is not legalism. Please listen to that one more time. Obeying God's commands is not legalism. Expecting Christians to obey God's commands is not legalism. Expecting that we would follow what the Bible says, people who belong to Jesus live like this, and you say, I belong to Jesus, then I, I, as your pastor, as a fellow church member, shoot, just as a friend, right, who knows Jesus, a brother and sister in Christ, I would expect that if you say you know Jesus, you're going to do the things Jesus said people who know him will do. That's not legalism. So when we add to that and we put up extra boundaries and like, we're like, well, well God, it's like we're saying God's guardrails aren't, big, aren't good enough, so we're going to make it a one-lane, you know, where instead of, you know, we're going to make it, you know, his, his boundaries aren't good enough, so we're going to put the, it's like the, the, it's like the gutters aren't good enough when you're bowling, so you put those, uh, those big rolly things in them so that you can't go in the, yeah. And you start setting up more. The narrow path is not chosen by many. We'll get to that in a minute, but the narrow path requires that we stick to God's will 
over our own. We must die to our own desires and follow his. It is the path of obedience versus disobedience. It's life with Jesus. And the thing about life with Jesus is he's the prize at the end. He's the treasure. He's the great thing awaiting us in eternity. It's eternal life with Jesus. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 11 says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That they may have life, sorry. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the gate, the narrow gate by which we must enter. The only way you get onto the narrow road is through faith in Jesus, through Jesus' sacrificial death for your sin in your place on the cross and his resurrection showing that God accepted that sacrifice. It's the only way we get, the only way to start down the path to life to trust, excuse me, the only way we get on the narrow path is to trust Jesus to save you, to repent of your sins and believe the good news. Look, all of us, if left to our own devices, will choose the wide path. That's our nature. You're going to choose based on your nature. And so in order for you to choose the narrow path, in order for you to choose, God's got to change your nature, and that's what Jesus does. Our hearts must be changed. So God reveals to us the gospel, the truth about Jesus, and changes our hearts and enables us to choose him, to follow him on the narrow road. But Jesus is the narrow gate. And however it is that you came to know Jesus, however it is that you that someone told you about Jesus or you heard him on the you heard about Jesus on the internet now maybe or maybe you heard about him on TV or maybe you went to a Billy Graham crusade or maybe your friend in Sunday school told you about Jesus. And we're going to talk about the ways people come to know Jesus later. Uh, however you got to that point, the only way you get into the kingdom of God is through the narrow gate of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So there are two ways, two gates. There's two destinations that are vastly different. Two destinations. Two ways and two gates lead to these two different destinations, and the road you are on leads to a specific destination. Do you ever wake up one day in your life and go, how did I get here to where I'm at? Well, the hard truth to understand about that is the choices you made in your life have been perfectly designed. I didn't make this up. Somebody else said this, okay? Uh, I don't, just don't, not 100% sure who. But the choices you've made in life are perfectly designed to lead you to right where you're at. And so, whatever road you're on now, leads to a specific destination. The narrow road, the hard road, leads to life. The wide road is easy and leads to destruction. Two destinations. Number one, the wide gate leads to eternal death. The wide gate provides unrestricted access to hell. 
It's very inclusive. It's wide open. And Jesus tells us that many, many will enter through it. Many people will wind up there. I don't like that, guys. But it's the truth. Second destination is eternal life. It's the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. This is life with Jesus, abundant and eternal. Because though the way is hard, it is full of joy. Life with Jesus is difficult. Okay, I'm not going to blow smoke at you and tell you that following Jesus is the most easy thing you've ever done, because that would not be true. In fact, it's probably the hardest thing you've ever done, but the most joyful. Because here's the secret, it doesn't rely on your effort, it relies on all of his effort and what he did on the cross. And so you can live with faith in that, that when you sin, you're forgiven. You can run back to him. I used to tell my students when I was a youth pastor, and I, look, I don't want to oversimplify things, but I don't want to make things more complicated than they need to be either, right? And I used to tell my, my students that the secret was not, like, to the daily, day in, day out Christian life was not that you were perfect at it. The secret was not that you never forgot to read your Bible, okay? I, Sue Ann was at our house this week. And I, we were sitting there, and she, she and Bethany were talking, and I, we were talking about how I, was, I had to get going. I was leaving the house or whatever, and I said, I haven't even read my Bible yet today. Your pastor. Oh, my goodness. Here's what I told the kids the secret was. It wasn't that you were perfect and that you absolutely, every time you did everything right, it was that when you messed it up, when you sinned, when you forgot, when you neglected God that you came right back, that you returned. That was it. That's the secret. The secret is not running away from him, but running to him. The narrow gate leads to eternal life with Jesus. And lastly, there's two crowds, and I've alluded to this before. There's the many and there's the few. The fact that there are many who will go through the wide gate and who are on the road to destruction should encourage us to be urgent in our personal evangelism. And some of you are thinking, well, isn't that the church's job? You are part of the church as a believer in Christ. Okay. Well, I thought that's why we hired the pastor. Nope. Nope. Pastor equips the saints. Now, I should be doing my own personal evangelism as well, my own personal discipling. But all of us are called to take the good news to the world. We want to see God snatch people off the way of destruction and put them on the path of life. You know what God's plan A is for reaching the world? It's the local church. That's God's plan A for reaching the world. And friends, there's no plan B. We're, we're it. We're his plan A. And there are many dancing down the road to destruction, enjoying it. And the question is, how urgent will we be about seeing God snatch as many off that road and put them on the other path? Secondly, 
there's the few number. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that the number that go through the narrow gate is, is a small number. It's not. It's a very large number throughout history. But it is a smaller number than go through the wide gate. Most people choose the wise way. Excuse me, most people choose the wide way. Sorry, that was a bad misstep there. Most people will choose the wide way, but much, many fewer will head down the narrow way. It's mind-boggling to think about how many, thinking of in eternity, all of the Christians who have trusted Christ over the thousands of years of history, since the 2,000 years of history, and plus whatever we've got left, right? All of the Christians throughout history, all the people who've trusted Jesus Christ being together in eternity is a mind-boggling number to think about. But it's even more mind-boggling to think about the fact that many more will wind up in eternal hell. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? As I kind of move towards concluding this, I'll invite the musicians to come back up. But, but I want to ask you this, because we have to decide what we're going to do with this, because the truth has been put out there. Jesus said it. Even if I had just gotten up and read these two verses, the, the truth would be out there, the choice put before us. So which path are you on? Which road are you on? Have you entered through the narrow gate? I want to encourage you to choose the narrow gate, choose the hard way. It begins by trusting Jesus. Jesus said, this is in uh, John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you entered through Jesus into the kingdom of God, into the family of God? Scripture tells us to repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God, came to earth, born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, uh, lived a life in your place that you couldn't live without sinning, and that he gave his life on the cross in your place because you have sin that you cannot deal with, and only through a perfect sacrifice could it be dealt with and forgiven, and he gave his life on the cross in your place, like a substitute, right? Substitute teacher comes and teaches in the place of a teacher who's sick or, or quarantined, <laughs> uh, and uh, Jesus stepped in to be the substitution sacrifice because you couldn't pay that. And he rose from the grave three days later and that showed that God said, yeah, I accept that sacrifice as payment. And that in taking your sin upon himself, he gives us his righteousness, his right standing before God. And at that point, once we trust in Jesus Christ, then we begin this journey of sanctification whereby throughout from the point of us coming to faith in Jesus to the point of our death, there's this growth incline where he sanctifies us through, uh, through uh, you know, Bible study and prayer and the church and fellowship with other believers. And he sanctifies us and he makes us more and more like Jesus, conforms us more and more to the image of Jesus. So we need to decide what road we're on. If you look at your life, you're like, I'm on the wide road that leads to destruction. Then you need to repent of your sin and trust Jesus for salvation. And I would love to talk to you about that. We have lots of people in here who would love to talk to you about that. But secondly, 
once you've come to that point, you've decided, no, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm surrendered to Jesus, then we need to work on our discipleship, our growth in that area. We'd love to help you with that as well. But thirdly, I want to I present something to you that this message, you may say, well, pastor, I'm on their road, it is hard, it is joyful, I'm following Jesus. That's individually awesome. But what does this cause us as a church to need to focus on and do? Well, first of all, we've got to be focused on our mission. Well, what's our mission? Do we have a kitschy mission statement or something like that? We have the Great Commission. We've been given a mission by God. We must be focused on our mission first on evangelism, personal evangelism. I want to I show you a graphic I've got a laser pointer, aren't you scared? Uh, I want to show you this graphic. I, I show, shared this with the deacons last week. And uh, it's from Tom Rayner and a couple of other guys that, that provided this. And it's a study of how people are influenced to receive Jesus or attend church. So it's, it's the percentages of people and how the, the people who have either received Jesus and attend, or attended church and how they are the percentages of where that's come from. So I just want to go down here. The first one is initiated by a pastor or church staff. So that's me, right? That's me reaching out to somebody. Zero to three percent. So earlier when I said, well, isn't that why we hire the pastor? If that's the reason why you hire the pastor, that's not a great return on investment, okay? Just saying that. As the guy who takes the paycheck, I'm telling you, that's, that one's not a great investment. Second is visitation. This is the old school. Tuesday night, we go visiting. Tuesday night, we go door to door. We knock, and we see if people want to know Jesus. The number is one-half to one percent, okay? And depending on who else you've got going knocking door to door in your community, that could be lower. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses ruined it for us, all right? Glad somebody laughed at that. All right, small group activity. So this is, this is having your men's group, your women's group. It's kind of a small group or maybe a, a life group, a core group, which I would love for us to, to have those in homes eventually. That's down the road here a little bit. Uh, but getting people to just start and be involved in that. Now we're up to 4 to 6%, which you're thinking, well, that's like twice as good as the pastor. Um, but we're only at 6%. Church programs, Two to four percent. That's hey, come to our you know, come be a part of our children's ministry, or hey, come to we've got VBS or we've got whatever, right? Come be so two to four percent. Let's keep going. Benevolent efforts. This is where we help people with food or with paying their electrical bill. You got one to three percent uninvited visits. Somebody just showing up at the door. Two to four percent. It doesn't happen that often. It does happen some. We've had it happen some lately. I'll just tell you, um, but it doesn't happen a ton. Special services, big events. Hey, we're, we're renting the parking lot next door. We got our parking lot. We got inflatable bounce houses. We've got live tigers. Uh, we've got a guy shooting another guy out of a cannon, right? And we want people to come so they can hear the gospel. And, and it's half a percent to one percent. That number, I think, in the 90s and 2000s was higher, Maybe. But we also, want to, we, we also don't want just people making a decision and then disappearing. We want to see them in that sanctification process. We want to disciple them. So here we go. I shared this whole thing with you to get to this last one. Friends, relatives, associates, people you work with, 
people in your running club. I'm not in a running club. You probably figured that one out on your own. 75 to 90%. 75 to 90%. So why must we be urgent in our personal evangelism, in our sharing the gospel with people, having those gospel conversations as we have opportunity. You don't have to cold call, okay? This is having a conversation with your buddy who's going through a hard time at work and being like, hey, I went through a hard time, and let me tell you about the one who helped me through that. His name is Jesus. Friends, relatives, and associates. More than likely, 75 to 90% of people If they meet Jesus or begin attending church, it's because someone they already know told them about Jesus or invited them. Rainer had another statistic. 80% of people, if asked by someone they have a relationship with to come to church, they're 80% likely to say yes. I don't know about you. This is, okay, this is not the Bible. Okay, it's it's a statistic. And you, sometimes you can make statistics. Somebody, you know, you make statistics say a lot of things, right? But that's overwhelming to me. We must stay focused on our mission as individuals and as a church. This would seem to say that what we do individually in our lives as the church is really important because we're Plan A. There is no plan B. So we must focus on, dis- on evangelism. We must focus on discipling people because we don't want to just have people show up at church and maybe pray a prayer and then go back out and show that they never actually went through the narrow gate. They're still living on the wide road, but now they think they might be headed to heaven and they go with a false security. We don't want that either. So we must focus on discipling people. We must step up the importance of showing people what it means to follow Jesus. And this needs to be done. And guys, you're getting a little, this is a little mini preview of what we're about, going to be about as a church for the next several years. Discipling people one-on-one, life-on-life. It's meeting together, reading the Bible together. I used to, when I was a, te- when I was a student pastor, I, I would take kids with me to Walmart. Why do you take a student to Walmart with you? So they can see how I react when the cashier charges me wrong. When I am able to, somebody going through the register is a dollar short and I give them a dollar to to finish buying their ding-dongs and ho-hos, right? They can see me handing a card, the way you treat people, and they can see what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be a Christian day in, day out when you're doing something as menial as going to Walmart or going to the grocery store or making a reservation for the youth retreat at a hotel. It's one-on-one, life-on-life, and reading Scripture together as individuals and as the church. Would you stand up with me? I just want to, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be done, but. I'm going to invite you to respond. I'm not going to invite you to walk up here or anything like that, okay? I'm going to invite you to respond to this. I want you, as, as we sing, just bow your head and 
and ask the Lord. Actually, bow your heads right now. And just ask the Lord. Sorry, that was really like commanding. Um, Please bow your heads. And just ask the Lord where you're at, what road you're on, what path you're on. And, and if you feel that conviction in your heart, you know, you, you, some of you already know, you know you're following Jesus, then, then pray about, take a moment and just pray about how you can be more urgent, that, that God would give you an urgency in your heart, in your spirit for telling people about him that he would give you someone to disciple or that he would send someone to disciple you or bring someone to your mind that, can dis- you, know, that you can ask to disciple you one-on-one. See, the church, each of us who trusted Christ are, are on mission. We have the great commission. That wasn't just for the apostles. We, we should be taking the hope of Jesus to the people who are, if we do nothing, strolling down the road to destruction. It's easy. They're having fun. They're having a good time and they have no idea that there's death at the end of it. Let's pray. God, uh, I, right now, as we come to this point of, of decision of responding to your word, God, in our hearts, we're going to respond one way or the other. We're either uh, going to take you at your word, believe you, and it's going to change our lives, or we're not going to change anything, and we're going to walk out of here unaffected. I just pray for a deep conviction in each of our hearts, that we would trust you at your word, that we would, we would know that there are many on a wide road and that it's our job as your children if we've truly trusted in you that we try to snatch as many off of it as possible give us wisdom help us to have the gospel conversations and help us to see when you're giving opportunity for those help us not be afraid or ashamed let our urgency to see people rescued be overwhelming to our sense of of what we might lose if we speak out. Help us follow you. Help us to have joy in the hard things of following you. And may you be glorified in our lives, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.